Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, our breakdown of our top 10 Division One men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 college tennis season. Of course, as I will remind you on every episode, if you have missed any of our previous episodes, all you got to do to catch up is scroll down on this Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear our thoughts on teams ranked 7 through 10 in both our men's and women's preseason rankings. Of course, you can hear our thoughts on the deliberation process as well in our college tennis preview preview show. But of course, our agenda here on today's show is to preview another one of our top 10 teams in this case number six Michigan and joining me on the podcast to help preview another top 10 squad is a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions on our Cracked Rackets podcast the founder of course of the no ad no problem blog and podcast my co-host on the deciding point not just during the regular season but of course for each of these preseason D1 women's previews as well and most importantly it's my dear friend John Jay Parsons joining us once again Jay hey great shot welcome back how are you doing today I'm doing great. We've got another exciting episode. I'm excited to chat through this one. I think we'll have a lot to say about the Michigan Wolverines. Absolutely. And again, this is the hump squad. This is number six. After this, we get into our top five. We're halfway home. And again, you can almost taste the start of the regular season. Now, in the case you are new to these preview podcasts, quick synopsis of what you can expect ahead. We're going to talk about how these teams performed in 2023. And as part of our new focus, again, contextualize where does that 2023 season sit in terms of what this has program has accomplished in more recent and broader history. Of course, then we're going to get into the 2024 roster. We're going to talk returners. We're going to talk new additions. How did the fall look for these squads? What does the schedule look like moving forward? What do we think the strengths are in each lineup? Get into all the fun topics, of course, as we always do in these preview podcasts. That said, before we do an abstract opening tangent for all of you listeners today, here's the hypothesis, or not the hypothesis, the hypothetical, excuse me, for you, John J. Parsons, our opening tangent. Would you rather have A, beautifully formatted, up-to-date statistics for the current year to date. I'm talking perfect format. I'm talking records in front of you. I'm talking you scroll down. You can see who they played individually in each and every match. Would you rather have that single up-to-date page or maybe a lesser stat page from a format standpoint, but accurate statistics that go all the way back to the 1998-99 season guaranteed on the web page. Which of the two would you rather have, Jay? So in first example, we don't have historical. We don't. We just have the single year. You can't find the archive stats anywhere. Oh. Because I'll tell you what, and I say this with affection and love, there are too many teams where that's the case. And I'm just going to call them out because I know by saying this on a show, they will have their IT departments fix it immediately. NC State's player pages, all immediately up to date. 
can't find the archive stats for the life of me. And it's like, I can find this year's stats up to date. Again, if I go scroll individual player pages, sure, I can find that. Can't find 22-23. Can't find 21-22. You can find all those on this Michigan page, even though it's an Excel spreadsheet. So every year, we've been doing this three years, every year we chat about the stats because we often find ourselves in a weird limbo where if they do have historical stats, they might not have 2023 in the historical stats. And you click on like current stats and you're already getting the fall results. So some of these things live in limbo. I have also noticed as I am now an expert across all of these different like team sites, we have a lot of rebranding happening. We've got a lot of zhuzhing up of these sites. (laughs) NC State being one of them, they now have historical stats elsewhere in sort of their horizontal bar on the site. So things are moving around. You got to stay on your toes. However, in this hypothetical, you got to have the historical stats. It was so easy to find on Michigan. I could tell you some of that historical context off the bat, pull those stats. If you want people to be able to talk about your program, the history you're making, you got to have it. You want to tell the story of certain players over the years, you got to have it. So look, I can make fun and poke fun at the Michigan Excel spreadsheet (laughs) that I am looking at when pulling these stats. But yes, they are accurate. They're up to date and they're archived, which is very helpful. That's all I have to say, John J. Parsons, to a debate we may have had in our text chain. That's our opening tangent. And by the way, knowing some people around this Michigan program like I do who will hear this podcast, that Excel spreadsheet is a glitch. It's not supposed to show us the spreadsheet. It's supposed to show us the thing it shows for every other year, all the way back to 98, 99. And so let the record show, I would give that three days within the release of this podcast from being fixed, Jay. That's the Michigan difference, my friend. Let me just set my reminder now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Well, anyways, that's the opening tangent, and it relates to the Michigan Wolverines, who are the topic of today's show and come in at number six in our preseason poll. And I do think it's worth exploring the broader historical context of this Michigan program because surface value It's Michigan. Michigan is Michigan. And I say that in the sense that because of the football program, they have traditionally in the size of the alumni base, et cetera, they have had the money to fund non-revenue sports, and they have had success in a lot of those non-revenue sports. Historically, women's tennis would not be included on that list. And you look at, you know, again, program's first season, 1973-1974. They go 5-0 and that year, 11-0 and in 75 and 76. No NCAA tournament results that the first time this team made the NCAA tournament, you'd have to go all the way to 95-96, where they made the NCAA second round. They then made the third round, a 21-5 and season there. I think third round at that time was NCAA quarterfinals. So maybe you want to count that as the first quarterfinal appearance for the Wolverines in program history. But Again, between that appearance for Bitsy Ritz 96-97 squad and Ronnie Bernstein's first quarterfinal back in 2015-2016, there were no quarterfinals for the Michigan Wolverines. And it speaks to the fact that, again, in 2023, for them to go 25-4, and for them to make the NCAA quarterfinals, win the Big Ten, Big Ten tournament, reach the final site, that's just not something that's happened very frequently in this program's history. Now, it is worth noting since Ronnie took over in 2007-2008, they have been a staple of the NCAA round of 16. In fact, since the start of the 20 20- 
2009-2010 season, they have made at least the round of 16 in all but three years. So they're clearly, you know, again, in that in the broadest sense, upper echelon, top 16 team. We're winning our conference. We have the opportunity to host NCAA tournament uh, rounds. But again, this group took things a step further last season. A group that, by the way, you know, had been under-seeded, you could argue, in NCAA tournaments over the past few years. Part of that a byproduct of some of the restrictions placed on the Big Ten, hurt the Big Ten when it came to national indoors placements and getting wins there, expanding, ranking amongst the conference more broadly. Anyways, last year, this Michigan program did not have that issue. They go 25-4 and four overall. They go 2-1 and one at the national indoors. Um, obviously, a loss to eventual champion North Carolina, but wins over Virginia, Ohio State there. They get a win over Cal outdoors on the road. They run through an undefeated Big Ten schedule, beating Ohio State in both the regular season and the postseason tournament. And again, They beat Virginia, hosting that round of 16 match to get to the final site for just the second time in uh, Coach Bernstein's program's history. And obviously that they did it and are bringing back so much of that group speaks to why they may be number six in our rankings. And again, we'll get into the mechanics of that more as we move forward. But for that group last year that had a good fall, again, Brown, Miller, Fliegner, certainly there were some signs that this may happen, but... They made the quarterfinals, Jay. Your thought on their 2023 overperformance, underperformance, or just right? Well, it was overperformance, absolutely. It it was the arguably the best season in Michigan women's tennis history, going undefeated in conference, winning the conference tournament, making the NCAA quarterfinals. So it's any it's nothing but a fantastic season for Michigan. There's not much more to say. We didn't even have them in our top 10 last season. That's how much they overperformed our expectations. So certainly this group, to your point, it was hard to understand how good they were in 2021, 2022, as they were underseeded, facing some tough draws in the tournament. But yeah, they had a lot of experience this past season and they took advantage of it. And they also took advantage of... Uh, very good run in the early season, which they carried through. They were fortunate to face, uh, you know, Oklahoma State twice very early in the season, an Oklahoma team that was a complete mess. Both of those Oklahoma schools got their stuff straightened out by the end of the season. Michigan benefited from that. Michigan benefited from an inflated Ohio State ranking that benefited from beating Georgia I think they came back down to earth a little bit in outdoors. You see that in the loss to Florida on the road, to Pepperdine. But it was the best season, I would say, in Michigan women's tennis history. 25 victories, second most trails, just, I believe, the 2014-15 season where they went 26-4 and but got knocked out in the NCAA round of 16. Yeah, I mean, again, this 25-4 and squad, they lost to North Carolina, national indoor champion. They lost to Georgia in a match where... They would be the first to admit, but I think we can look back and say it now. They handed away the doubles point. They gave away a bunch of leads in first sets early. The kind of thing that happens, by the way, to a team in that sort of caliber of event at that in that moment, dare I say, for the first time sometimes. But more broadly, again, you talked about it. There was a buzz from this team right out of the gates. And... Last year, there was just a synergy 
between Michigan men's and women's tennis that I'm not saying other programs don't have. And maybe it's because I am around that one in particular that I felt it, but just a buzz of, hey, we've got special groups across the board. Let's come out prepared. Let's come out energetic. Let's go beat the teams we're supposed to beat right away. And to get those back-to-back wins over Oklahoma State home and away, but the away one being the kickoff weekend, that's why Michigan was able to do what they were able to do because they went and beat Oklahoma State, made it to the national indoors, go to and one. Now you have control of your own destiny from a ranking standpoint. And look, a road loss outdoors when you haven't played much outdoor tennis to Pepperdine, I don't count that as a bad loss. The Florida one is probably the one loss on the resume you maybe want back more than the Georgia match just because it's an NCAA quarterfinal. But overperformance in the best sense. It was an unbelievable year for a group that was very experienced. But again, you wouldn't quite have expected that from all of them. And that's where we can get into the roster now as we look at this team that, by the way, brings back five of six starters. And I do want to say just right off the bat here, as we look at this roster, as we progress now to number six and the difference between maybe this Michigan team and some of the teams we have lower down the list, I have no questions about this Michigan lineup. Maybe questions about just how good they can be, But there's no like, that's what we're attacking, or that's a clear deficiency, or a question they need answered. Like, I feel like there are are people in place to play every position role. And obviously, it starts at the top with Akari Miller, who had as memorable of a fall as you can have out there, beating Fiona Crawley at the All-Americans 13-3, and and finishes her preseason ranked number 10 overall. Obviously, uh, you look beyond just what she was able to do. You have, I think, I believe, four ranked Wolverines. Julia Fliegner, eleven and five. She's thirty-nine in the country. Lily Jones, the sophomore, six and seven overall, but forty-seven in the country. Then Gala Mesacharito, seven and one, ninety-four in the country. The name obviously missing there is Jaden Brown. And for what it's worth, her and uh, Kari Miller, number eight in the preseason doubles rankings. She's also coming off of injury, surgery over the summer, so you would always expect the singles to be a little bit slower in coming back, but Jay, that's where it starts. They're returners who experienced it all together last year, and now they're all back. Yeah, we might have very different takes on this Michigan team. I had two takeaways from the fall. We'll start there. The first is that Piper Charney, the freshman, she's absolutely a lineup contender for this team who really doesn't need a ton of additions because they return almost everyone from last season. And the second is I think Lily Jones is on sophomore slump alert. Those are my two (laughs) takeaways from the fall. Everyone else, it was a very quiet fall for Michigan. There was, yeah, I mean, Kari Miller gets the winner, Fiona Crawley, breakout fall for her sure i mean she's in her senior year hard to have a breakout year everything else fairly lukewarm you had fliegner get a win over connie ma that was good lily jones not great piper charney i'm intrigued by she got some good wins over Lise wagley of ucla luciana perry of ohio state another freshman it was a quiet fall for michigan it didn't seem to carry a lot of momentum i will say from their spring 2023 it's interesting observation. I mean, let's start at the top with Kari Miller, who, again, number 10 in the preseason rankings, beats Crawley. Last year, she goes 13-4 and four in dual match play, 6-1 and one at the top spot, 7-3 at 2. Uh, some scholars could argue she's the most 
underappreciated top dog we have on any roster in college tennis because she has been consistent. Like, does she have the massive weapons? No. But she is just a thorn in everyone's side and finds ways to stay on court, finds ways to win, you know, again, to extend matches so her perhaps lower lineup teammates can go get the job done or in some cases manages to flip the matches on her own and just go out and win the damn thing. Again, 13 and four in a top two spot speaks to that success. I feel like she doesn't get enough credit for being a really good number one singles player. I mean, again, like she's probably the top dog in the Big Ten. Now, her and Arena Contos have a special rivalry and relationship through their time of playing for now three years consecutively against one another. But I would argue it wasn't a breakout, but it was a consolidation at the top. Like her having that number 10 ranking is maybe finally a reflection of. Yes, she's a senior, but it's like she is as tough of an obstacle to get through. Just like if you're looking at the schedule, if I was a player and I was like, I got to play Kari tomorrow, like that would be on the list of players who would make me groan. Well, it's because you're all you also lack weapons in your tennis game. No, I love grinding. No, I should say not personally. I would be like, I'm ready to grind. But I'm just saying like for those if you're if you're on the road. So. NC State travels on a Thursday to Ann Arbor. This is a carryover from our last podcast, folks. You know the last thing I want to do on a cold February Thursday is go grind for three hours against Kari Miller. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said uh, about Kari Miller. She's been fantastic for this Michigan team for so many years. She is an extremely solid number one. She embodies this entire Michigan team. Solid. Very, very solid everywhere. And and that was my start, by the way, in terms of assessing this roster. That's what I mean when I say they have no holes in a way. Even in NC State, we're like, what does four, five, six look like? You're like, no, I know what this team looks like in every position, and it's pretty solid. And again, Jaden's working her way back, getting healthy. She's 13 and six overall last season. Yeah, you know, again, the level started to dip off last year. She was nursing that injury, but she is also. If Kari is the steadiness everyone looks to at the top, again, Jaden's the energizer bunny. Jaden is the beating heart that makes it all go. And But there's there, questions moving into the spring, having had surgery, not played sure. much in the fall. Very fair. But again, there are answers to those questions. And certainly her and Kari will probably be the top doubles team moving forward. But Julia Fliegner, who last year after a really good fall goes 15-3. and three at the number three spot. And again, her and Lily Jones in doubles, Julia's first set in singles in Georgia, that kind of epitomized the flip Georgia was able to make to pull away. But to Julia's credit, she's consolidated. Coming back this fall, um, as I mentioned, top 50 player in the rankings. And, you know, certainly, uh, what was the match she played at fall, Matt, where it went three? I'm blanking on who she faced. It was a top seed. I think she ultimately dropped the match. Anyways, you feel good about her coming back to that number three spot. and then, Yeah, I mean, she has be- always been in our conversation, at least this past season, for like best number three in the country. Yeah, your words, not my- Again, I always feel like I have to put this disclaimer. And now I could say, for- I'm just going to say, I don't care if he'd get mad at me. I'm going to be the best man at her brother's wedding. So like, I know Julia Fliegner a little bit. So we'll leave that there. But yeah, 15-3 and three speaks for itself. And her and Lily Jones progressing as a doubles team throughout the course of the year allowed Michigan to steady the ship in doubles after two years of just weird doubles results for the Wolverines. 
Four, five, and six is definitely where things get fascinating from a lineup perspective because this Michigan team has options. And, you know, again, starting on the returner front, sophomore slump for Lily Jones, like, are you, re- what makes you project that? Like, was the fall that disappointing? Were there that many questionable losses? I know the under 500 record, but I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not. I, the under 500 record to me is indicative of the fact that she's playing top tier, top three competition. Like it wasn't a soft fall for Lily Jones. It was a fully loaded schedule. And is she ready to make that top three jump? Maybe not yet, but this is someone who last year went 14 and six in dual match play playing in the bottom three spots. And that's where she slotted to play again. Yeah, you're right. She played a lot. She played all the top tournaments. She played a lot of tough matches. She lost to people you would expect her to lose to. But I, you know, if we're, look, this is Michigan's year. Like if Michigan is like, like this is the year they lose Kari Miller, they lose Jaden Brown, they lose Gala Masachurito. This is it. And so we're having that conversation with Michigan. And if we're having that conversation, then Lily Jones better step up because a losing record at five, at, at, at number four or a, losing record in the fall against those players like show something and that's where there are questions michigan fans should know that's a compliment jay is holding you to the highest standard he's saying you this is the year for you to compete for a national championship and yes if you're gonna do that everyone in the lineup's got to show flashes throughout every portion of the season and i do think again gala had a pretty good fall and last year i've always said Gala setting a breakdown. That's when she go. Oh, okay. I'm gonna start winning now. Just so you know. And seven and zero at the number six spot, which is where she settled into the lineup. Obviously, again, she is the fifth re- returner of the bunch. Does she take he, a step forward in the lineup? Go back. Where are you? But here's the thing. She she's not taking a step forward. You need to keep her at six. Mm-hmm. She had a losing record at five last season. Yeah, three you have five. to keep her at six. So. She has to stay at six, which is why there's more pressure on Lily Jones and whoever can jump her, potentially Charney, at at five. So though you, I think they feel very solid on the bookends here of those returners. The questions are at four and five. Well, that gets us to the new additions because they have options to pick from. It Andrea Serdan uh, and Nicole Hammond departing from the roster. Serdan, the bigger contributor in singles last year. But they have two really good choices to choose from. Piper Charney, who was one of the new uh, newcom- top 10 newcomers in the ITA's preseason ranking, she had a pretty good fall as well. And, you know, again, maybe not quite as exceptional as her older sister, Emma, but there were Charney talking points at all point of the year with her uh, having some success in All-American qualifying and throughout various events in the fall. And, you know, again, you bring in her as a blue chip. And then it's also worth noting, you bring in someone in Holly Staff who, uh, as Holly Staff, excuse me, Anna Ross, who... Had a disappointing year last season, no doubt, for Vanderbilt, but has proven she can be a contributor. Singles, doubles, in a lineup somewhere. If it's, again, a limited time role, lower in the lineup for these Wolverines, and they're not counting on her week in, week out, they can play her in the right conditions, in the right matchups. Like, that's your seventh wild card. It's a real—and no disrespect to Bailey Shinen, Reese Miller, others on this roster, but, like— that's a really solid seven where if there's an injury, you still feel pretty confident in the six you're putting out on court. Yeah, the Anna Ross transfer, I think, is confounding. 
Why? This is, this is someone who has played number one at a Vanderbilt team. Granted, when she was playing number one, this was not the Vanderbilt of NCAA winning years, but she has consistently gotten worse every year. And she's consistently missed more and more matches due to injury every year. And I think, again, if we're having this conversation with Michigan to take that next step forward, semifinal, final, a championship back in Ann Arbor, I don't think Anna Ross gives you much. And I think they needed to hit that portal and they needed to bring in someone that was a guaranteed contributor. And I'm not sure Anna Ross and her knees are going to take her that far in Ann Arbor. So that would be my concern. And if you just have her contributing in doubles where she should be solid, I don't think that's enough. Is Anna Ross Sasnaskaya? No. Is Or who went to Texas? Started yeah, no, oh, Sasnaskaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, but no. That's obviously not. But I see, here's what I'm saying is where I disagree. She, it's a pinch hitter rule. Like, again, we know who's eating up the serious innings. It's the I fact know. that she can come She's in and a play pin- a lot of indoor tennis and these double. Like, it's, it's a good pinch hitter. Yeah, but if Michigan is to compete, you can't bring in a pinch hitter. Can't you, so, you have this sort of depth? Again, when you bring back five starters, including all of your top four, plus a Gala who is undefeated at six, plus a blue chip freshman, plus, again, we saw Bailey shining in spots. It competed well. Like, I, I can't speak to younger Miller. What It's Reese, I believe, Reese, Reese. Miller. Um, I can't speak to her game yet, but she's a Miller. I promise she's out there to grind. No, I guess, I, it was a pinch hitter. It was a swing and a miss. It's I guess be a swing and a miss. I, 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 does this team feel a player short to you? Like, is that yes, a hundred percent a player short? Really? If they want to win a national championship, one thousand percent. If Charney clicks, are they still a player short? Hmm. I mean, what's click? Solid at five. Uh, last year, the Wolverines at number five singles, thirteen and eight. If she can go fourteen and five. They're a player short. They are. They need Gala out of that lineup. Like, that would be the best case scenario. She's not playing singles. Or she stays six and, and Charney doesn't play. Look, if they want to win a national championship this year, yes, they are a player short. They are, they are just incredibly solid at every position, but it's they keep coming up lame in those final matches in NCAAs 2021 2022 2023 they just get overmatched by teams with more talent and they needed to bring in someone that had talent and was going to contribute i guess i'm not re- willing to write off anna ross yet and hopefully she'll use this as bulletin board material i mean god willing <laughs> it would have been good to see her play a single match yeah, since april true. Right, that would be helpful. I also want to go on the record. This Michigan team is outstanding. Okay, (laughs) like that. Like I I always come across as like a Michigan hater, and part of that is because we have you on the other side of this conversation. So you're talking about. But I want to say this Michigan team is fantastic. They are going to be so good this year at every position. I think they'll be incredibly solid. Again, as we start to move up these ranks, we start to compare to a, a UNC, to maybe a Stanford. And that's what I'm comparing to. So I want to be very clear about that. This Michigan team is fantastic. I'm very excited about it. It's well said. They're number six in our rankings for a yes, reason. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and by the way, I think they, I might've had them a little higher. 
Yeah. Ooh, so there's a little reveal. I like to yeah. hear that. No, I. You mentioned it, and it's that they are solid everywhere. Are they yes. exceptional anywhere? That's the issue. Is you're not like when you're making your pathway to four. What makes this Wolverines team so special is you can go, yeah, they can get to four in any way. What makes this Wolverines team maybe so frustrating in tier two instead of one is you're like, yeah, but how are they going to get there? And you're like, "Ah, I don't know. Who's playing well on a given day? What are the weak spots in the other team's lineup? They match up well with everyone, but but anyone – like the best – not anyone, but the best of the best can match up with them. That's really well said, and that's why, again, like six feels perfect for this team in the rankings. They are a team – whose floor you feel like at a minimum gets you to a final site. And we'll get into that ceiling floor argument in a moment. But just as we look towards the ceiling first and foremost, if there's a most valuable point in this team's lineup, someone who, again, can help define, you know what, they are going to make that leap. They are going to flirt with semifinals and maybe even national indoors where we've seen how good this team can be inside, maybe even compete with, dare I say, a UNC for a title if the draw breaks right. Who's the most valuable point? To me, it's it's a combo platter of four and five because I feel extremely confident that one, two, three, and six at Gala at six churn out the exact same record they have last season, if not slightly better. The big question for me is four and five. Yeah, For me, it's two. Like 11 and seven at two last year. That's lower than you would expect, right? With one of Jaden or Kari. That feels like if you're going to improve... I would say that's the low-hanging fruit. Like, that's the one where you have to be better. Like, Jaden and Kari have to be on more of those 50-50 ends on the winning side if you're going to be elite of the elite. They were 11-7. and seven. And it's not like we're talking about a top 20 player or top 10 player. Like, Well, Kari is top 10. She's 10. She's playing one, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of what I would expect at number two from Michigan. Here's yeah, you'd like it to be a little bit better. Meh probably not going to be against these top teams julia 15 and 3 16 and 4 overall at the position gala 7 and 0 18 and 4 overall in the position i say this with affection big 10 they're going to get to pad their stats and beat up on a lot of big 10 well, teams so those numbers of course will still look big well that's uh, true for all of these players by the yeah, way so that that's probably why you feel worse about that number and t- number two yeah. spot because it's really not 11 and 7 if you just looked at the record against top 50 teams it probably is a losing record and that's why, that's why, again, I know in her final year, I think Jaden is going to have a bigger year. And I think that's the spot that propels Michigan to a big national event. Because, again, I think everyone keeps that same sort of performance level. Jaden was 4-4 four and four at number two last year. I just I don't see her going out on that note if the body cooperates with her. And, again, I think if she is that much better, Michigan has the depth that can just overwhelm a lot of teams and maybe even propel them, certainly to a top eight seed and to that final site. Do they? No, no, to the final site. I'm not saying at the final site, but like... I I actually feel I'd like to watch them play. Am I going to say the A word again? I would love to watch them play Auburn. (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, who is four and five? So are we saying it's Lily Jones and Charney? I think between the four of Ross, Mesa Charney, and, and Jones... They will find success at two of five and six. Like maybe okay. the four is where they struggle, but five and six is where they'll pick up the slack because those are all pretty good options. It's banking on a big year from Emma Charney, but I think the freshman in that role will be able to deliver. You know, 
Michigan and Ohio State over these past few years have gotten quite close. I wouldn't be surprised to see Coach Bernstein pull a Ty Tucker and throw Anna Ross at number four. <laughs> move down Lily Joe, and then we're really talking. Uh, who's the uh, who's the uh, the Tim Siebert? Tim Siebert. No, she's no in that. Uh, I was gonna it's make Anna Ross. I was, it's not Anna Ross. It last year it would have been Nicole Hammond. I just want to say, like, it actually would have fit. Um, but anyways, now we're talking. Yeah. Give up, give up four, five and six, undefeated. You have Jay's blessing to do so, Coach Ronnie. Um, look again. This gets to the ceiling and floor argument for this team. Ohio State's got a lot of pieces. I think we saw this Michigan team last year again go undefeated against the Buckeyes. I would lean that direction again as it pertains towards the Big Ten entering this season. Outside of that, you look for Michigan in the kickoff weekend. They will be comfortable favorites. They're hosting Arkansas, Purdue, and Utah, though, again, Arkansas. Frisky team. That'll be a fun indoor match, certainly a fun test for the Wolverines. You know, we'll get into the inflection point match in a moment, but we talked about this on other shows they have nc state uh coming to town this michigan schedule by the way is absolutely loaded which speaks to jay's fact that this is the year like you look at the schedule this year the oklahoma duo they were home for those matches last year they're on the road for them this year they're uh they've got virginia florida coming to town this year and uh usc's coming to town nc state pepperdine coming to town i mean that's juicy jay We'll know what I'm saying is we'll learn about this team's ceiling. I mean, the big both Michigan and Ohio State women's schedule extremely tough. This is the best schedule, non conference schedule, I think that exists in the 2024 season. This is an incredibly tough schedule. They're going to play four top 16 teams before kickoff. I mean, like Virginia, Florida, the Oklahomas. I mean, Virginia and Florida are after kickoff, but four before. Oh, sorry, before indoors. indoors, Before indoors, four top six. It's an Ohio State schedule, and then you go to indoors, and you're going to have another three top sixteen seats. This is an insane schedule, and the beauty for Michigan is every single one of those matches is going to be indoors, and so there is, without a shadow of a doubt, this team is going to be top eight. The entirety of the entire season, their top eight ranking will never be in doubt. Huge hats off to Coach Bernsing for this schedule. I absolutely love it. It is so fun. I'm sorry you're in the Big Ten, but I love that you have those non-conference schedule, non-conference matches. I'm going to include those seven non-conferencers. Pepperdine, NC State, USC, Florida, Virginia, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State with the presumed three national indoors matches. So that's 10 matches right there. What record do they need to go in those matches and sans Ohio State even to finish a top eight seed? Is it five and five? I mean, five and five, six and four. You know, some of those are away too. So, you know, it, yeah, and, and they will. They're all yeah. going to be indoors. You have a lot of those teams coming to Michigan. I mean, USC is coming. So it's a, a fantastic schedule. I hope catch you have some weekends at home so you can visit your family, but also catch some incredible tennis. Yeah, I want the record show. I don't. I'm on the road the entire month of February, which, by the way, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but Cleveland Challenger. National indoors, national indoors, we're rolling. Um, that said, we've got Big Ten coverage here at Crack Rackets once again. So we'll have coverage of all of these matches. And yeah, they're really good. It's a loaded schedule. It speaks to the urgency this group has. 
what's that ceiling? Like, I think we'll, like, could this team make the finals of the national indoors? We'll start there. Is that a ceiling? Is that a a reasonable in the realm of possibility? I'm not going to say win it because North Carolina's won it every time I've seen it, so I've never known another existence. But finals, like, is this team right away with the experience they have relative to the rest of the field that everyone's been there before? They have that urgency of the NCAAs from last year. It reminds me of last year's Michigan men's team, where right off the bat they made a semifinal run at the national indoors. I know finals is around different, but it was a 4-3 loss to Texas. Like, does this team have that in them, that early season push? They'll be tested. They'll be calloused. Uh, Yeah, 100%. I actually think there's no reason why this team couldn't make the national indoors. Now, you don't know about the draws, of course, but yeah. But they'll have the ranking to be a number two seed. Like if they take care of business and beat Florida and beat Virginia and beat Oklahoma and beat Oklahoma State indoors, like who will have a better resume to that point? Well, we're still coaches poll at that point. Yeah, but so, still. Man, I don't know if people are going to, I don't know if they're going to go that high uh, <laughs> for, for Michigan. So again, and, I don't know the draw, but yeah, I mean, there's no reason, particularly because they do start strong. Last season, they looked ready out of the gate. This season, if they're not ready out of the gate, they should be by indoors because they'll have so many tough matches. Uh, They'll be, and some of these other teams got like nothing on the schedule. They just basically show up for kickoff and then they go to indoors and then they're, and that's the reason because they have a stronger conference schedule. So like Michigan's schedule is always front loaded. Their season ends on March 15th, because that is when they play Ohio State. Everything else is downhill after that Pauses. for them. Pauses. Doesn't end, because then they have the May stretch. Well, okay. They're non-postseason. They go a little bit dormant for basically two months. So it's all front-loaded. So this is a sprint for them, and then they'll take a little time off. So, yeah, there's no reason they couldn't make the finals of indoors. I mean, March is the Charney month. That's when we'll know um, just how good she is because certainly you imagine there will be a lot of rotating who's in, who's out at that point of the calendar with how tough that match is. The other point, we made the upside of the case for top eight, the, the how that those 10 matches relate to their floor. If they go even three and seven in those matches, they're not falling out of the top 16. They're just not. And so, again, when you schedule that aggressively, the wins you're rewarded, the losses don't hurt you nearly as much. So... Floor has to be top sixteen again. This is the year. Like it's it's a minimum for this group. And even if there's an injury, like everyone's an injury away from obviously things being upset. But I feel like even if there's an injury, this team should still finish top sixteen. Yeah, I, it really depends on who the injury is to. Like yeah, if sure. Kari Miller is out with injury, it's going to be tough sledding for this team in a way that it might not be for some other. I mean, again, if you're going to lose your top player, of course, it's going to be very tough. But yeah, they're an injury away, maybe. But no, I mean, this is probably the tightest ceiling floor conversation we have. Like, Let me ask you this. Crawley gets injured. Is UNC still your number one? I think they uh, are. Rabbins on the bench, Yarlagata, Tran, Scotty, Forbes is that emergency button you need to push if necessary. Yeah, I think that becomes very interesting with Stanford. Yeah. I think, yeah, but I mean, they're the national champion. Michigan is not. So, like, By the way, most you take teams. Out the, you take out the Stanford number one, they're still a top five team. Yeah, well, they're very much seven deep. That's uh, what I'm saying. It's yeah. 
I'm just saying it exists. I just like to prove you wrong every so often. You're right. The Delta. Did I say everyone? I don't know. Play back the tape, Westoff. Yeah, listeners, you guys can all be the judge. Anyways, what's the match that's going to tell you the most about this team? Uh, Well, I I mean, it's tough. I think the Ohio State match, honestly, 315, because at that point, I'm just going to know everything about this team. So. It's it's nonstop, so I don't feel like there's like a key inflection point in this schedule because it just keeps going. I mean, February, March are going to be so busy that I so I would just circle that three fifteen Ohio State match because at that point we'll know really the fate of this Michigan team. Yeah, again, those it is a front loaded schedule, so they are a team to watch. Those first two months, there will be many a deciding point segments I could imagine involving the Michigan Wolverines. Did you answer the ceiling question, by the way? Did you say this team can make uh, – we talked about it for the national indoors. You said final, yes. NTA-wise, final site's obviously a minimum. Third quarter final for Ronnie, duplicating what you did last season. That's the expectation for this team. Maybe not from a record standpoint because obviously things got are stepped up, but certainly from a results standpoint, final eight is the goal. Does this team make the first semifinal? Is it in the, the cards? Well – Certainly, it could be in the cards. Right now, I do not see it. And the primary reason I say that is they have had many seasons where I feel like they look very good. They just have not shown up well at NCAAs. I feel like year after year, they get overmatched by teams that I think have more talent on the roster. In the last three years... All of those matches either have been complete blowouts or have been super odd and disappointing results from the Michigan team. Now, one could argue that that loss to Georgia is something that haunts them and is the sort of loss you need to go through to then have that breakthrough. But it's really tough to say that they're going to have that semifinal breakthrough because when they get to that final site, it hasn't been good. Where I would disagree, and this speaks to the scheduling again is they're going to know what the best level looks like in a way no other Michigan team probably ever has with the aggressiveness of this year's scheduling. And I do think this being an older group, seeing that level those first three months, again, no disrespect to the Big Ten, it's a lulling competition. You're able to rest on your laurels a little bit more. This team will just have such a thorough picture of what they need to work on after those next two and uh, those first two and a half months. And, you know, again, what the best version of them needs to look like from a peak perspective to be there in May. Like Again, it's a testament to the scheduling. And I just think this team has an opportunity to get a gauge for the top level with that scheduling in a way few other teams might be able to match. But yeah, like you're right. It's the transition outdoors. Like other teams have been playing outdoor tennis, battling with SEC opponents, ACC opponents, whatever it may be, for months. Michigan won't have that. They have the first two months indoors. They got it, It's critical. We've talked about it. That's the theme. It is a pivotal stretch for this experienced Michigan Wolverines team. We both obviously think they're going to answer the question as we have them number six in our preseason rankings. The question is, can they take the program to new heights? That is the question we will find out as the 2024 season plays out. Final thoughts on the Michigan Wolverines, Jay, belong to you. Well, your favorite saying is... I have no doubt that this player or this team will be the best version of themselves. I have no doubt Hmm. that this Michigan team will be the best version of themselves. 
I just do not think that best version is a semifinal team. They should ship two players a weekend during that Big Ten down to Florida, train in the heat. Uh, Their best hope is that Oklahoma State has a tornado in that quarterfinal round. We move indoors. But this is a fantastic, extremely solid team. They have challenges, I think, in getting over that hump, but we'll see. I think it is possible that they are extremely solid. They, I think, should deal with adversity pretty well uh, down the home stretch of the season. We'll have to see. My challenge to someone on the team, pull that audio clip of Jay saying, I do not think they'll make the semifinals, turn it into some sort of EDM remix. And that's your song for practices to get the team motivated each and every week. Just hear his, you know, you'll hear his voice. I do not think you'll make the semifinals. And then the drop. <laughs> and that's what you guys are going to be doing fitness to for the next five months. Just lock it in. Someone on the team's going to have those capabilities. I know someone on the team's brother could certainly do it. Uh, so shout out to whom that person could be. Anyways, that's the number six Michigan Wolverines. Again, coming off a maybe program best season in 2023 sky high expectations certainly for 2024 as well with that said that'll do it for number six in our preseason poll now here's the thing again we're halfway home we got five more to go who are the top five d1 women's squads entering the 2024 season that is the question jay and i will try to answer for all of you tennis fans over the course of the next few weeks with that in mind jay no ad no problem rocking and rolling as well what else do you have for us listeners before we wrap today's show yeah, a few interviews, Cannon Kingsley, Mike Cation on the pod, preseason content, probably going to do a mailbag soon. So send in your questions at jtweetstennis on Twitter. No ad, no problem on Instagram. I'm excited. We're gearing up for these final few weeks before maybe have the uh, Texas versus Virginia men's debate with our very own Ethan Moskowski. Some fun stuff coming down the pipe. I look forward to hearing it. Well, I do want to tell our listeners a look behind the glass. We have pre-recorded this episode because you're taking a well-deserved vacation, my friend. And here's what I ask you. Rest up. Do what you got to do because we got the real five months ahead. And so I look forward to seeing your tan self on the other end of that vacation. And as always, I appreciate you taking the time. So with all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who as always has a of an editing job to do day in, day out. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.